The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Stewardship Through Respect with your host, Holly Wells. The model of being overworked, stressed out, and oblivious to the world around us is no longer viable. We need to become engaged and take an active stand for those issues that are important to us. Get ready to engage and interact with our discussion. Now, here is Holly Wells. Welcome to the program. Tonight's guest is Joan Palmer. She's the founder and director of the Institute of Sustainable Nutrition. She's the owner of Real Food Matters, LLC, and Joan has a master's in human nutrition, a bachelor's in education. She's, in 2011, received a certification as a family community herbologist. She has been planting the seed of Real Food Matters for decades through educational programs presented to schools, businesses, organizations, families, and individuals. She has covered the map. Um, and Joan presents the art of science and eating, I love it, as part of an accredited master's degree program in Connecticut, where she's been growing and using herbs and kitchen medicine since the 90s. So welcome. Without further ado, Joan, hello. Thank you, Holly. Fascinating. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about your program first. I know when we first had this discussion, you really mentioned that you went through the clinical training and what you really thought after that was, wow, I really would love to go back and teach people the way in hindsight you would really love to have been taught before, which is really hands-on. A lot of it's in the kitchen, actually in the garden. So um, let's hear a little bit about your approach here, your training model. Okay. Um, Well, you know, having a a degree in education, we were always taught that the best model for education, the gold standard, was that you used all different modalities of teaching, which I, I didn't see that often when I was going for my um, higher degrees. And, and when I finished my master's, I felt so, um, I felt like I was prepared clinically, but I really felt like, well, what about the food? What about the food? You know, there's so much more than the chemical constituents. What about the growing? What about the preparing and the community aspects around food? And so I I kind of felt like I was going to change my model a little bit when I finally got out and started working in the areas. So I started putting workshops together, and I said that I would always use hands-on um parts to the program, and so in one of my programs, one of my workshops, there was a woman in the audience who sat through it and then went back to um, the place she was going to get her master's degree and said, you know, you really should take a look at what this woman's doing, and they called me for an interview and hired me to teach the art and science of eating, so I kind of felt like, okay, this is the right path and the right way to, to do this for me. Yes, that's a good validation. Yeah, yeah. And so within that, um, I started doing internships at this um, for this master's degree program where the students actually 
came to my home and worked in the kitchen and the gardens and, you know, around different themes. And um, from that, we decided that we really wanted to strike out and develop this further. And from that, we created the Institute of Sustainable Nutrition. I love it. I love it right away. Just from the name itself, of course, I love. But again, the full cycle, I always love the full cycle where you've integrated it, where um, it nourishes our bodies. You're actually cooking it, preparing it in the kitchen and meals to nourish our bodies. And then you're growing the herbs to use as medicine. So I like that as well. Could you give us a little discussion on some of the herbs and maybe some of them that are kind of staples or other ones that might be easy to grow that we could kind of, those of us that are starters might um, try growing in our kitchen or, you know, in our own personal area. Areas? Yeah, the um, the the growing of the food and the herbs ended up being, I think, a surprise. It ended up being um, a much bigger component than I had originally expected, and I can get into that in a little a little bit. Let me answer the question first about the herbs for for anyone to to start with. And I'd have to say that I would, I would direct people toward the culinary herbs. I think that those are great places to start, and they're really under-recognized um, medicine in our food. They, you know, they've been used forever um, because they do have such strong antimicrobial benefits that they would protect food when we didn't have refrigeration and things weren't always... Um, as sanitized, and the herbs were able to really help keep food safe uh, or safer. And so they they pack a big punch medicinally. Flavor, they are what makes it. They take something from being ho-hum and dull to really being exciting and and full-bodied. And I think we really, we tend to use them very sparingly when... I think we could be a little more heavy-handed, and that's something I work with with my students is to get them to be less afraid of of increasing that. And I think, you know, when we look at something like sage, um, I always tell people, oof, when I first thought about drinking sage tea, I thought, who would want to drink stuffing? Because that's the only <laughs> way, the only real association I had was stuffing and, and that strong... Uh, turkey uh, connection and it's one that is really delicious and a lot and I, I don't know if I've had anyone not like sage tea but it's also really great for sore throats so if if someone's getting that that throat that is itchy and you know and that it's the beginning of something you can take a, a nice sage tea and that's just going out to the garden and picking some of the leaves coming in and chopping them up and putting them into, you know, bring your water to a boil, put the boiling water over the sage leaves and cover it for about 10 minutes to let it steep and then gargling with that and swallowing. And it's pretty remarkable. It actually dries mucous membranes. It dries um, the body. It's great for women with hot flashes or actually more with night sweats. And it's um, 
it's such a simple herb. And one fantastic. Of the things- I'm actually growing pineapple sage, and it smells so sweet because you'd mentioned um, the other is so savory. This pineapple sage, um, it's actually got these beautiful fuchsia flowers on the top. Yeah, they they come just before the frost here. Uh-huh. <laughs> they come, I mean, you see them and you think, oh, well, the gardens are about to 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 end for the season because they 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 do bloom really late here in New England. Um yeah, but the thing with sage too, you know, I always tell people when they are doing these plants that you're you're really getting nourished and healed a number of times. One when you put the plant into the ground and you're putting your hands in the soil and you're you're nurturing that plant and and you're working with the bacteria in the soil. And then again when you go to harvest that plant, there is some healing in that when you're out and you're feeling you know connected to that and taking that in. And then again when you make the medicine by making the tea or whatever way you're going to use it. And then again, when you ingest it by sipping that warm cup. So it it really heals in so many different ways. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. I love it. And garlic, I know garlic is something that um, I use probably to the disdain of some people. I love it in probably everything I eat. In San Francisco, there's that... um, the garlic restaurant, the stinking rose, where it's just yeah. garlic infused everything. And I went there and just loved every morsel of everything. But um, what are the great qualities if people don't know of garlic? Oh, well, I have to say, I think garlic is, well, I say this a lot. I say this about a lot of plants, but garlic is one of my favorites. Um, we grow quite a bit and it's, it's really satisfying to grow in the garden because you do the work in the fall and then in the spring, it's almost like a miracle. Here it comes, and you didn't have to do anything, or so it seems, because you've had that winter rest. Um, and then you get the garlic scapes, which are delicious, and those are the, the stalks that come up that will eventually be the seed head. But you don't let that continue growing. You cut those off, and you can use those in early June or mid-June to use like you would a milder garlic, and they're really fabulous. And then you've got the garlic that you get to go harvest at the, you know, for us at the end of July. And there's something really satisfying about that whole process. But garlic is quite remarkable. It's actually as effective an antibiotic as tetracycline and penicillin. And the amazing thing about plants is that bacteria do not um, figure them out and become resistant to the plants. And part of that is because the makeup of these plants, like garlic, is so complex that bacteria cannot figure it out. So it really is a great all-around antimicrobial. And when I say that, I mean it's bacterial and antifungal. And it, so it's got very powerful and varied medicine in it. It's been shown in studies to lower cholesterol, lower blood pressure, um, I, I, I think that it's one of the most remarkable parts of it is that the, the part that we like to refer to as kind of the plant magic, that, that higher order compound that is performing that medicine is, doesn't really exist in the garlic, um, that that's called 
allicin, but that isn't in the garlic. What happens is when you break that garlic open and expose it to the oxygen and the alanin in it, which is one of the compounds, in, it gets exposed to oxygen, me- mingles with other constituents in the garlic. It actually goes through 10 to 12 changes until it produces the allicin, which is that thing that produces all those benefits. So what we tell people is when you first start getting ready to use the garlic, take it, chop it up, and set it aside for about 10 minutes so that it has the opportunity to, to move through those changes and, and produce that big medicine. Fascinating. I love that. You learn something all the time. That is fantastic. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I loved it. I didn't know how much it was working for me. I mean, I knew it was. I could tell the effects, but um, that is very interesting. Yeah, and when you get, uh, you know, you start feeling like you're coming down with something to chop that up. Um, In our house, we, we do eat it raw. We can just take small slivers of it and eat it. Um, sometimes it helps to put a piece of like a thin sliver of Parmesan or whatever other food you really enjoy with it. But um, to begin eating it like that to try and combat or to even make a nice broth and then you can add that garlic to it. Um, the heat will stop or slow that um, that change down, so you want to let it get to... Uh, that certain point, you know, that 10 minutes or so, throw it in and then consume it. Um, but to throw all those herbs in, you know, along that along with sage or thyme, and thyme is another incredibly powerful um, medicinal herb that has um, co- constituents that are really great for the lungs. So, you know, when you do, st- and you can drink that as a tea, although I for some reason, don't enjoy it as a tea as much as I enjoy it as a broth. So it, I think that flavor really lends itself to a broth. Um, delicious. They're all delicious. And you know that those, you can tell that those herbs are packing a, a, a lot of medicine by those aromatics that you smell when you, when you rub a leaf of sage, oregano, thyme, mm-hmm. Rosemary, they really have a lot of those volatile oils. You can, they're very strong in their smell. And those are indicators of those higher order compounds that are so important for our medicine. Fantastic. Well, right now, um, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, I would really like to talk about um, one of the other fundamentals, sustainable principles of food, is that you mentioned your food should really be nutrient-rich, and you've actually done some study on this yourself. So when we come back, I would like to um, discuss some of your findings and what your study um, indicated and told you. So um, we'll be right back. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This program is sponsored by ILoveNature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. 
sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back. This week's guest is Joan Palmer. She is the founder and director of the Institute of Sustainable Nutrition. And we were just getting ready to begin a discussion about the nutrients inside of your food. And literally, um, Joan has done some studying of literally taking items of food over time and testing them for the composition of their nutrient rich and what's been inside of them. And uh, let's talk about your findings. Well, I, I really can't be the one to take credit for it. <laughs> it is actually our um, soil our soil guy, Nigel, who is um, he is an organic gardener, and I guess we now call him beyond organic gardening um, guru for us. He um, we asked him to come in to the program and teach a couple of um, months of classes, and ended up. He's been with us every every class since then. We just we didn't realize how much it was going to be a part of of what we teach. Um, so what we have found is that, and and this is a big movement right now all over the country, and the practices are are used around the world and have been for a very long time. But um, it it's looking at the the nutrients in the food, because if it's not in the food, then it's not in us. And what we have been finding is that since about the 40s, they have been watching our food decline in certain nutrients. And back in the 40s, they, well, actually, I don't know, I think the, um, the brixometer was developed back, I think, in the 1800s, but it's been used in the grape industry to to measure the percent sucrose in plants. And what that does is that we kind of know there is a chart that has um, the readings of what makes, what's a poor reading, what's a good reading, what's a, an excellent reading for a plant's percent sucrose. And what we have found is that we 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 do these measurements and we aren't finding things that are moving out into even the good range of food 
And the, the importance of that percent sucrose is to understand that you need a certain level of those sugars in order for those plants to then move on and be able to produce those higher level compounds that we think we're eating the food for. You know, when we think that we're getting all those antioxidants from blueberries, well, they have to be at a certain level of health in order for us to get that. And we're just finding things so depleted, and part of that is because our soils have become so depleted. Um, you know, if you look at the health of the country and where things flourish, it's usually around areas where the soil is very nutrient-rich. Um, and over time, you know, every time you pull food out of the ground, you're pulling those nutrients out. And those nutrients are, are very complex. There's a lot of trace minerals in those. And just like for humans, we can't just look at calcium and magnesium and think that's all people need. We realize there are all of those trace nutrients that we need. And it's the same with the plants. And then it's also the bacteria that we need in the soil. And right now when we till our soil and leave it bare and and exposed to the sunlight and the air, all of those bacteria are killed. And if those bacteria aren't there, they are, they're the communication for the, the plant and the soil to be able to, to then take up all those nutrients. And so we're finding that our practices have really moved us away from nutrient-rich foods. That said, our hybridization, our, you know, us evolving our fruits and vegetables to look good, to be able to travel well across the country by truck, those keep the food looking pretty good, but the taste and the nutrients aren't there. In fact, we always say that your taste buds are your first line of testing. And Hmm. I know that we've been testing tomatoes um, for some reason in New England. That is, people really struggle and strive to grow these great tomatoes. And um, we go to these beautiful farms and we get tomatoes and we find that they're, we call it brixine, brixine at such low levels. And I remember the first time um, Nigel came to me with a tomato and said, taste this. And I took a bite and I said, well, I wish you would let me taste it before you salted it or whatever it is you just did to it. And he said, I've done nothing. Yeah. But that was that higher level bricks that it, he's gotten a number of times that it's remarkable how it changes. It, it is like a different fruit. Um, yeah, I like where you're going there. And actually, what you're saying, I'm very against GMOs. I know some GMOs are good, but um, in general, it's not uh, something I'm a fan of. But what you're saying about them traveling long distances reminds me, one of my tenets of uh, I Love Nature is really the eating organic, particularly local. To your point, it's not traveling. We're not incorporating all of those costs or fuel, you know, et cetera. So, but um, earlier when we were talking, you mentioned seasonal eating. So that's something that you take advantage of, all the you know things that grow seasonally and in your area. So that's really um, something you wanted to touch on. Yeah. Um, well, when we, you know, and that does touch on all of these different areas. One, we know that when you're growing your food, you have the best chance of growing nutrient-rich foods. When 
with um, the practices that we use, we try to to make our amendments, the things we use to feed the, the bacteria and the plants. Um, we try to use things growing right there in our backyard and grow. We use them to... Um, so that we're not going and, and buying different nutrients, different amendments from across the country or from another country. So we really look at the plants and we try to see what is in the plants that we can use to ferment or some other processes that Nigel uses to actually then feed um, feed the plants. And so we note that all of that changes throughout the seasons, um, what we can do, what foods grow, um, and we also do a lot of foraging, teaching people about some of the invasive species and other things that grow wild around us that we can use um, as a nutrient-rich food because they have not been altered. They are one of the one of the foods that still maintains its nutrient-rich ways. Um, we haven't messed with it. It's growing in, in fields that or woods or wherever um, and tends to still hold a lot of that nutrition. So I'm sure. I'm going down this bunny hole, but um, that's okay. So, you were talking earlier as well as you know, it's a, it's a key indicator of what grows seasonally is really like a trigger to our bodies of what time of year we're supposed to be kind of eating that comfort food for winter, you know, things like right. that. That's also some things we just if we follow nature, it helps us help ourselves. <laughs> right, and what we know is that when we look at the medicine in the food, we we can kind of see that, and I'm going to speak in terms of New England right now, because this is where I am, um, but we know that because we have the four seasons, that in the winter, we tend to really reach for warm foods, and usually warm and moist foods, they tend to be heavier and fattier because we are trying to keep warm, and, you know, a lot of people in New England don't hibernate, they still get out there and work hard and play hard, and um so the requirements are, you know, a little bit more of those heavy nutrients, plus that was what was available here was, you know, you had to put your food up, but you also still hunted, and people tended to make the stews and the, you know, things like that that were warm and and heavy. And then in the spring, you know, when the first plants start to appear again, a lot of those that we can plant ourselves or that are in the wild are more of the bitter greens, and I think of dandelion greens, and I think of in my garden the the things that come up really quickly are the arugulas and other bitter greens and um, cruciferous vegetables like kales and things, um, and those bitter greens actually stimulate digestion. They stimulate bile flow, which helps to um, draw out toxins from the body that, and, and when I say toxins, that's, you know, I'm talking even metabolic toxins that are there that kind of are getting our bodies revved up and warmed up for hard work of summer. So spring is, is kind of cleansing things out and that's with food. That's not, I'm not talking about going and doing a lot of supplements and things to do a big detox cleanse, which a lot of people like to do, but 
if we ate within the seasons and and really looked at the foods and the wild and cultivated, we would be kind of doing that on our own. And our bodies really do know what to do. They're quite clever. Um, And so we would go through this detox. And then in the summer, we have all the abundance of fruits and vegetables and, you know, a lot of, of really great produce that that really kind of nourishes and gets us back in to our health and into our vitality um, to get us through the summer of hard work and play and, you know, and to stock back up and, and regain. And then fall comes, and in the fall we're harvesting a lot of the of the plants like the onions and the garlic and the you know the root vegetables that all work to to kind of get the digestive system back in order again to get you ready like you know a lot of of the beta carotene and things like that that get you ready for um, your intestines to be ready and the lungs to be ready for the cold and flu season so you're kind of then you know, looking at the herbs again and the fall herbs, which tend to be the roots, which tend to really work on keeping us healthy from those those things that those ails of of the winter. And so, Fantastic. you know, and it, like you said, it's also one of the least expensive ways to eat because it's usually what's in abundance, and so it ends up being more affordable when we do that. Great. I do want to talk a little bit more. Uh, we're going to take another quick break here uh, for another commercial. And when we come back, let's talk a little more about um, the actual uh, plants we do do to, to talk, do detoxify. That was hard to say. <laughs> to <laughs> detoxify. I know there's so many of them out there. Some people like some of them. I tend to like a lot of them, but you might come up with ones that aren't even um, in my radar. So I would love to hear about some of those specifics after we come back from the break. We'll hear more from Joan. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's eyelovenature.com. This program is sponsored by ilovenature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. Sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. 
If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back. Our guest this week is Joan Palmer with the uh, director of the Institute of Sustainable Nutrition. And we were just talking about um, detoxification. And I just asked before the break if we could just talk about a couple examples of foods that are good for that and maybe ways that are easy to prepare them for people. Okay. Well, I'll probably disappoint you on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, um, you know, it's it's interesting because I feel that... um, just by eating real food and whole foods and a variety of foods that we do, we do, our bodies are always detoxifying. I mean, that's what they do. It, we are remarkable and, you know, it was kind of developed during the, the time of when Kellogg came in that he kind of was really all about the body being dirty and us needing to cleanse and and that somehow we needed to assist that in ways other than with the way that we have done for you know thousands of years so we um, I say by eating a lot of of real food a lot of produce um, that your body will will do what it can and needs to do, and when I, and, and and so in that respect, I think I always disappoint my students because they, you know, they always are ready for that big detox and taking all the supplements and doing. And I am I am more about you know. Let's get into the into the kitchen. Let's get into the garden. You know, eat cooked foods, eat raw foods, eat eat a lot of of foods that are cr- from the cruciferous family. And cruciferous are the um, the broccoli, the kale, the cauliflower, the Brussels sprouts, the the bok choy. You know, all those delicious things are really great at assisting the liver. Um, and actually have things in them that can help the liver to go and and detoxify and things um, burdock root, which I you know here in New England we're harvesting roots right now, and um, we have, we teach a ten month herbal intensive at the school, and this month was the garden or this past week was the garden uh, workshop where they come and we go and dig all the different roots out. And burdock is the one that was, um, I think, well, maybe one of the big surprises for them, but it actually can help in that, the body's process of detoxifying. Um, and it's, it's just a very nutrient rich food. And you know that by trying to dig that thing out of the ground because that root goes down so far. It took (laughs) us, I don't know how long and how many shovels we took to get one root out of the ground. It was so deep. But when it goes down below that surface area that you've been working with the um, with your garden and it, it is able to penetrate the soil really deeply, it's going down to where we haven't disturbed and taken a lot of nutrient out of the soil. 
and it's able to bring that up to the surface to for the other plants, but also for us. Um, so eating, again, with the seasons and looking at that, knowing that the roots are are providing that for us is is one of the things that I recommend. So eating right now in New England, the cruciferous vegetables have sweetened up because it's gotten cold, and when it gets cold, they produce more sugars to prevent them from freezing, and so they're sweeter for us, but they still have that bitter compound that helps the body to produce the bile, which helps to draw out toxins, um, also has the enzymes to go in and actually assist in the detoxification process in the liver. Um, so, uh, you know, those types of milk thistle is an herb that we grind and put on our cereals or our, some people put it in smoothies, and it's a, a seed um, from the milk thistle plant, and that's very, very great. It has silymarin in it, which helps to... Um, helps the liver to detoxify. So I, was that too vague or? (laughs) No, it's perfect. Well, overarching is, first of all, you're just saying to eat good, natural, non-processed food, which of course, I'm of course an advocate of. And when you're digging up like you had to that, you're getting your second thing and you're exercising, you're getting the movement, which is really just cycling all these fresh nutrients around all parts of your body. So I love it. That's a good um, just reinforcement for us. Um, but also you also before just wanted to touch about labels anyway. So I think this is a good time to work that in. So with your non-labeling of foods as detoxification, even if we just enjoy them and know that they have those properties, you really want to move away from most labeling of food eating types is what you're kind of suggesting that we shouldn't really lock in and allow ourselves the flexibility to just more eat with what feels intuitive to us at the moment. As you mentioned, what's seasonal, just what grabs our attention. So kind of your reason for wanting to move away from these labels. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Um, yeah. What, what, you know, I, I always wonder how we got to the point where food is so confusing when did we get to where people don't know what to eat? It, it, it's, when I stop and think about that, it is just mind-boggling to me because, you know, we've evolved with these foods and these things that are, are, are there all the time and they're there when we need them and they have, you know, what we need when we need them. So one of the things that... When I started the school, I really emphasized the philosophy that we were we were going to expose our students to all different ways of eating, but and and point out pros and cons with the ultimate goal of getting rid of all the labels. So with that, when, you know, there are benefits to eating raw foods, really great benefits. And if I lived in Hawaii, I would probably eat most of my food raw. Um, they have beautiful, they have access to beautiful produce all the time and fresh and juicy and just ready at that point to be eaten in its peak ripeness. But Eating raw in New England, you know, by the time that avocado gets shipped to you, they've had to pick it before it develops any of those enzymes that everyone says, oh, eat raw for the enzymes. Well, they're not produced until the plant is ripe, but you can't pick it when it's ripe. So, 
you know, we start getting a lot of rules. Like, you know, if you're vegan, you can't eat these foods. And if you're, if you're an omnivore, you have to eat these foods. Or if you're paleo, you have to eat these. You know, everyone's got their rules that go with their label. And it gets really confusing. And we know that studies have shown if you put a child, a young child, into a, a room full of all different real food choices. So, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables and all different kinds of things like that, that a child would go and they may eat one thing all day or they may eat a little bit from everything or they may eat, you know, something in the morning and something else in the afternoon. But by the end of a week, they would have eaten a really pretty well-balanced diet. And then... We step in with all the rules of, you know, you can't have this before you've had that. You've eaten that already. You had that this morning. You've had that. You know, we start telling them what they can and can't eat, and suddenly they stop being able to hear what it was they wanted. And so they lose that that sense of knowing, and we like to call it the art of listening or the art of knowing your own body. And so you wake up in the morning and you try to remember the rules of what it is you can or can't eat or what's best or, you know, that newest superfood or, you know, instead of thinking, gosh, this morning, you know, if it's summertime and the blueberries are beautiful out there, I would love to go out and eat a big handful of blueberries and then maybe move over to the raspberries and Maybe I'll I'll go to my chicken coop and get one of those eggs from those chickens running around and saute up some greens or whatever it is you want. You, you know, by listening, there are days you want leftovers. There are days you're not really hungry when you get up, and you're going to wait and listen for that signal of, oh, now I'm ready to eat. Now I know what I think I need. Um we we get very confused uh, by all of that and so we just really what what we want to do is we want to teach our students what real food is to remind them to to relearn real food we want to teach them what are good sources of real food because if you're going to eat certain things you do want to know what what's a good Source. Not all animal protein is created equally. We know that beef from pastured animals that are truly out in the sun and in the fields eating beautiful, healthy, nutrient-dense grass produce more omega-3 fatty acids than those farm-raised salmon that we are all thinking we're eating for our health. So we try to teach those things, and then we take our students through um, a month of journaling and eliminating a lot of foods. It's, we teach them, you know, we give them a lot of assistance through that period, but to then start reintroducing foods back into their diet one at a time where they are really paying attention. And it's probably the biggest aha moment in the school for many students, not all of them, but many of them, because they start recognizing what's really been going on in their bodies and um, 
it, it usually changes a lot of things in their in their food world, and they start being able to hear hear all those signals again. And Fantastic, yeah. And um, we're going to take our last quick commercial break here, um, but when we come back after the break, uh, one thing I'd like to talk about, we didn't talk about this before, but listening to you talk about all these things, I can't help but ask this question. It's just in my mind, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it. Uh, it's really about the food preparation. I know I've heard things where clearly the um, some things you, if you sear them at a very high heat for a very low time, but other things you don't want to put on too much heat because, again, heat is really the process, that, as you mentioned, that takes out a lot of our nutrients. So it's some things I know you go some places and they overcook vegetables and that's very offensive to some because they realize one they don't have that nice crisp crunch and secondly they've lost all the nutrients or most of them so you know so actually the time to prepare food I'd like to kind of touch on that after the break so um, we'll be right back with Joan after this the next break Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This program is sponsored by ilovenature.com. Do you love sustainability? Do you love getting to the point? Sustainability is thoughtful, planned utilization of the Earth's resources for the betterment of humanity. Sustainability awareness is crucial to the Earth and to humanity's continued long-term existence. We all need to participate. This is a global issue that impacts each of us locally. Visit ilovenature.com. Respect yourself, the Earth, and humanity. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. I Love Nature supports sustainability, and that begins with self-love and self-care. Take a moment and ask yourself, do you often feel your batteries need to be recharged? Do you regularly wish for more time in the day to tackle everything on your to-do list? Are you continually delaying personal vacation planning? It's time to reclaim your life's purpose. Break out of your rut. Visit ilovenature.com. Get out and enjoy nature and some physical exercise. That's E-Y-E, lovenature.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are tuned in to Stewardship Through Respect with Holly Wells. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to respect at ilovenature.com. That's respect at eyelovenature.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back. This week's guest is Joan Palmer. We're talking about the art and science of eating. And before the break, I'd asked about cooking, um, the myths of cooking things uh, with high temperatures and raw food. So you're going to touch on that. Let's talk about cooking our food. Okay. One of the things we do at the school, we have a culinary piece. Um, basically, we're in four sections, the gardening, the science aspect, the culinary, and then kitchen medicine. And um, so we we go around and around some of these issues. Um, but the cooking versus raw is, I, I think people are a little surprised. Um, I do feel that raw food is very important. I also feel that cooked food is very important. And one thing we know is that 
with raw food, we we tend to preserve a lot of the the vitamins, certain B vitamins, vitamin C, and those are more more plentiful in raw food. But with plants, they the cell wall is a little different than the human cell wall, and it is designed to not be broken down really easily by our teeth. And so when we eat that plant food, we are not breaking those cell walls up completely. That's why we get that roughage that helps with our our bowels, you know, it, it goes through like a scrub brush because it's not totally digested and broken down and ends up helping to cleanse the colon. So it's a really important piece to our diet, and it doesn't run inflammatory. It's, it's a great way to eat food. But what gets locked up in the plant cells is a lot of the, are a lot of the minerals. And when we cook food, we actually are releasing a lot of the minerals. And so when we, we know that people who have a lot of bowel issues, a lot of digestive issues, tend to have a hard time with a lot of raw food. And people who are coming out of certain types of cancer treatments and, uh, you know, going through certain types of um, bowel issues, they, they tend to do better with very well-cooked foods, and I think of soups and, and you know, things like that that just make it easier for us to digest. And so, you know, each one has value and each one is really important. So, again, rather than us thinking that there's one way, we know that being able to cook with moisture and a little bit longer period of time helps to get certain nutrients um, to make them more bioavailable to us. So I would say scorching things um, at high temperature isn't good. Usually we are using fats with that. Um, I think of like really high temperature roasting sometimes can, and we get that char on things. That usually is not a great thing. <laughs> Um, it may taste good to people, but you know you really don't want a lot of your food, especially um, animal products, to be overcooked with high heat because that does produce um, compounds that are very uh, that are very highly suspected of being carcinogenic. Um, but uh, did that answer your question? It did, it did, but it did bring up uh, the discussion for me, the thought of cooking oils. I know there are so many things that they say should be cooked with peanut oil. I know I have a, a, one of my guilty pleasures is at night we have a popper that my mother gave me, and my latest thing is someone introduced me to the concept of using uh, coconut oil because it does actually flavor the popcorn to a certain degree. So there's all these different oils, and some people say you should never cook with oil. Some people say you should only put them on salads. What can you tell us about oils, their benefits, and when to use them appropriately? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, this olive oil question, I'll, I'm going to start there. Yeah. We go around and around and around. I can be in a nutrition class where I'm the student, and I'll have a professor say, never cook with olive oil. Only finish with olive oil. And then I can be in a class with a professor saying, Oh, yes, and high-temperature heat, you want to use olive oil. 
So I think, good grief, what is this misconception with olive oil? Um, the thing, olive oil, I think if you were to do something very low heat, I think a saute with olive oil would be okay. We tend to really, I think that a lot of people won't use it for high heat temperature. I don't think it should be used for high heat, but I... I think for lower heat temperatures, it's good. I think coconut is a medium high heat that you can use it for. It can it can stand a little bit higher temperature. Um, the other thing, though, that I really like, and that actually this weekend we have classes and we're actually making ghee in class, and ghee is a clarified butter. So we try to find butter from a, a nice pastured um Jersey cow farm where the animals are happy and <laughs> out in the sun. Um, and we actually will go through the process of clarifying that, which means to separate out the oils from the proteins. And when you do that, it allows people who have that allergy to um, the casein that in, in dairy to actually use that butter. And that butter or ghee can actually take high temperatures. And in Ayurvedic um, medicine, which is the oldest medicine, it's the medicine of India, it is frequently the, the fat that they use to deliver the herbal medicine to people because we know that a lot of things are better absorbed with fat. So you can cook with ghee and, and not worry as much about the that the temperature, because those proteins are no longer there, that would actually be um, harmed by the higher heat. So I do like that one. I also like avocado oil, um, and it, it's not as delicate. There are a lot of the the sesame and those. There, I consider those to be pretty delicate, and you know, I like to keep the oils in the refrigerator. I use them, you know, a lot of those as finishing oils and. Um, we are not, I am not a big fan of canola, which <laughs> canola is, is called rapeseed until it gets processed. And, um, a lot of the processing of that is, is pretty harsh with harsh chemicals. And most canola is genetically modified. So, and one of the problems that we have with genetically modified things, other than the big unknown and lack of testing, is that for a lot of the things, they do use some pretty harsh herbicides with them, and we're finding that it is probably those that are really altering a lot of of the gut microbes and the gut um, composition. So we're a little leery and until somebody allows research to be done on all of this, we are it we are very more than leery. Understood. So canola, you're not a fan. That's a good non endorsement, everybody. <laughs> so we have thirty seconds. Any last words? Again, Joan here, she is teaching us the art of science in eating. And you can find her. Uh, she is the founder of the Institute of Sustainable Nutrition. She has. Uh, she's the owner of Real Food Matters. And any uh, last parting words here for everyone? 
Yeah, I think what I really would want people to to take away is um, we have a saying at our school. One is nourishment from the ground up. We are the Institute of Sustainable Nutrition, nourishment from the ground up, to really start looking at plants and foods that are grown the way they are supposed to be. Um, and we also have another saying, you can pay the farmer now or the doctor later. And so to um, really start looking at, at your neighborhoods, your communities, and your own backyard for those things and to become aware of real food and then become expansive in your thinking about food rather than narrowing yourself down with a lot of labels and a lot of restrictions well, thank you. I, yeah. Yes, I love it. That is perfect. That's a great way to end. So instead of narrowing our focus with everything, we should expand it, be more inclusive of our food palates. And I thank you so much, Joan, for sa- our time is up. Um, thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. And uh, thank you for joining us again, founder of the Institute of Sustainable Nutrition. Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Holly. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to Stewardship Through Respect. Please join your host, Holly Wells, again for another edition next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll have more to talk about next week. Have a good weekend.